Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Pastor Michelle wasted no time in getting me involved. (laughs) Second Corinthians, second chapter, verses 14 through 17. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. For we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not peddlers of God's word like so many, but in Christ we speak as persons of sincerity, as persons sent from God and standing in his presence, the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thank you. Carly's like, how did I get the like book from last week of scripture? And she got like one page. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, So uh, we are in our fourth week of a sermon series um, where we are... uh, taking into account that we as adults may not know everything we think we know, (laughs) um, or we may never have been confirmed and really don't know, but we've been coming to church. And so we're moving through a series called We Believe, uh, Confirmation for Grownups. I think uh, it's good where it's not official confirmation, but I hope that through this you are getting a sense of, of your answers for these core questions. And I say your answers because uh, these are just my answers, right? Um, are on behalf of the church. The church is my way of, per, of, of describing how the church would answer these questions, but it's a, it's a very Michelle way of saying it, right? And I get that, and so I hope that you're discerning what your answers are to these. So I was recently asked to lead a workshop at a conference uh, in 2024. 
Uh, and the workshop I've been asked to lead is on storytelling. Um, and so I, I assumed it was basically about how to like invigorate people, how to like, um, how to tell a really compelling story or how to take something in ministry and the way you tell the story about that thing, um, be able to energize a community to get behind it, that kind of thing, um, which I feel like I am good at, but like I, I didn't have all the specifics of what they wanted me to teach. And so this week they sent me an email with some questions to be thinking about. And um, the questions were, how do you use stories effectively um, in sermons? How do you use stories to get a point across or to advance a ministry? Or to what degree do you make the point of your story clear to your listeners instead of leaving them to work it out for themselves? And so I'm like thinking about these and um, some were expected, maybe some, I guess all were expected, but trying to figure out what they want from me and something just kept, something bothered me about the questions that they sent me. And I couldn't put my finger on it at first, but I felt like something was missing in them. And then, and then it hit me that all of those questions have to do with how you tell a good story, right? How do you tell one? But not at all about what is the story that you tell or to what end do you tell this story? And so I started to wonder, like for good or bad, I don't know, if they wanted me to lead a workshop on storytelling that was more a workshop on telling stories as like anecdotes, attention getter stories, illustrations for a sermon, stories to add to sermon, to add that extra punch of pizzazz, you know? Um, or if they really wanted me to talk about the Christian art of storytelling, which are two very different things. I later confirmed and I got, I got they don't really know what they want. <laughs> so um, I can do whatever I want, which is what I'm gonna do. Um, but these, uh, these kinds of stories, we normally hear in church, right? Those are the kinds of stories we hear. Anecdotal, attention-getting stories aimed to put a little bit of pizzazz on top of a sermon, right? Uh, but these, these kinds of stories aren't what I think a room full of Christian storytellers really need to learn how to tell. These aren't the kind of stories that I think Christians really need to, to tell at all. Because um, we have a really, really great story, right? So at the core of, of how God saves us is a story that stands at the heart of our faith and that more perhaps than any other form of discourse speaks to our hearts and illumines our own stories. And so 
I think this is what Paul might be talking about today. Let's take a look at that scripture one more time. It's short, so we can. Um, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us to triumphal procession and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. And then this core part here. And who is sufficient for these things? For we're not peddlers of God's word like so many are, but speak in Christ as persons of sincerity, as persons sent from God and standing in God's presence. We are not peddlers like so many others are of God's word. Isn't that image rich and also like painfully telling when you think about it? We are not peddlers of God's story. Peddlers are people with packs on their back full of things they want to sell you, right? And those things they try to sell hardest are the things they think will sell the best. Peddlers are less concerned with what the world needs than with what the world wants and can and can be made to settle for, right? Peddlers are salespeople who are interested less in the quality of what they're selling than than in the success of the sale. And so if peddlers of God's word happen to be preachers, it's preaching as an end in itself that they're normally apt to do. to to concentrate on. They they do their best to be effective, eloquent, original. They choose the stories that will go over best and the ones they'll be remembered for um, to the credit of their, um, to their credit long into the future, right? Or if we happen to not be preachers like the rest of us here, well, there are some preachers in the room, let me take that back. If we happen to not be preachers, then when it comes to just speaking of or out of our faith in some general way, we, like them, tend to just stick to the salesmanship of it and to speak of it whatever is easiest to speak or whatever we think will go down the easiest with people we're speaking about it with. And we we speak of books we've read and ideas we've had and we speak of great questions like abortion, what would God think on that? And conservation, what would God think on that? And what we take to be Christian answers to such great questions and, and if we even get personal about it at all, we we might even speak of problems we've had problems with the church we've had problems with children and old age or problems with sex and marriage and other ethical problems and of christian solutions to those problems or at least christian ways of viewing those problems and if in the process we decide to tell stories then we like the preachers who peddle them. We tell stories about ourselves and about others and not the real stories about ourselves or the real stories about others, not the stories about what lies beneath all the other problems, which is really just all the problem with being human, right? 
trying to hold fast somehow to Christ when much of the time, both in ourselves and in the world, it is as if Christ never existed. Because all peddlers of God's word have that in common, that is telling the story that costs us the least to tell. Telling the story that costs us the least to tell rather than telling the real story, the real battle of light and dark or of belief and unbelief, of sin and grace that is waging in each one of us, right? So one way or another, we're all peddlers. We can say that. And those of us in ministry are more apt to be peddlers than others because we're professionals <laughs> and we're continually being sought out to display our goods for others. And so it all, it is to all of us that Paul speaks today as it relates to how God saves us. We are not, he says, meaning we should not be, or we must not be, or we freaking well not be. We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as people of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. That's the whole point of it, our telos, our intended and and our intended end for our lives, intended end for today, to speak in Christ, which means, among other things, to speak of Christ. And it, when it comes to storytelling, that is, of course, the, the heart of it. This is the heart of storytelling. If we are to speak with sincerity, speak as we have been commissioned by God to speak, and with our hearts as well as our lips, then this is the one story above all others that we have in us to tell, you and I. And that's the story of Jesus, but it's also the story of us. It is the speaking in Christ, narrating our own story through Jesus' story, that God does that work of saving us. The story of Jesus is, is where we all start from though we've come so far since then, right? And, and there are times when you'd hardly know it to listen to us and when you har we hardly even know ourselves. The story of Christ is, is what once, somehow, and somewhere, at some point, we came to Christ through was because of this story. Maybe it happened little by little. Maybe some of you are in that story. Maybe it happened little by little, uh, a face coming slowly into focus that used to be a painting on your grandmother's wall and now um, after a long time you're really starting to see that face a little differently or more clearly now and um, it's a voice gradually making itself heard in our lives among all the other many voices and in such a way that we couldn't we couldn't help listening after a while and couldn't help trying somehow in some unsatisfactory way to answer that voice or maybe Maybe you're one of the few here that there's drama to your story. Uh, there's drama in it, some sudden catch of the breath at the sound of Jesus's name on someone's lips um, when you weren't expecting it, or some sudden welling up of tears out of a place where you didn't think tears even existed in you. However it happened, 
I want us today to be reminded of that story of God's mighty acts of salvation that we've been invited to, that Cheryl and and Suzanne have been invited into, where we came from, that story, where we are going, that that it's, it's our home. It's our story to remember and to find ourselves in, and that when we do, we are saved. The story of Jesus is fully of darkness as well as light, right? It is a story that hides more than it reveals. It is a story of mystery. We must never assume we understand. And that comes to us breathless and broken with unspeakable beauty at the heart of it, yet it is by no means a pretty story either. That's the way we are apt to package it often, though. We like to sand all the rough edges down on this story and the obscurities and the contradictions. And what we can't explain, we explain away. And we're apt to try to sell Jesus' story if we even tell it at all. But as Paul says, we are the aroma of Christ. And the story we've been given to tell is a story that smells of his life in all of its aliveness and in all of its brokenness and then to to come alive in our own lives because of it and to help others come alive too scene one jesus is born and the story begins and the barn that needs cleaning right and the and the the sagging steps and the dusty faces and there are times when we have to forget all the angels in that story and all the shepherds in that story and the star in that story and just let the birth speak for itself in the wonder of that just the wonder of that this birth jesus is born into a world that has never been famous for taking special care of the naked and the helpless. He was born in in the same old way to the same old end in all the likelihood that he cried bloody murder like the rest of us did when he came into the world and when when they finally got the breath going in him and he sensed, can you imagine how he sensed more or less what he was in for? And then as a teenager, he got lost in the city and worried his mother sick when he did. And then John baptized him in a river. It could have been a bowl. And wondered afterwards, is he even the right man for this? And and it wasn't just Satan that tempted him, no, um, because for the rest of his life, just about everybody tempted him, his best friend, his disciples, his mother, His brothers, his enemies, and all of them tempted him one way or another not to go off the deep end, but to stay on the kind of bearable surface of things, not to work miracles that you couldn't, that people couldn't see, but to work miracles that they could see with their eyes, and to feed hungers that you could feel in your belly, and to heal sicknesses of the flesh that you could, that people could actually touch, and to be power among powers oh the temptation to be power among powers and to avoid the powerless and to show favor toward only the publicly pious and the outwardly religious people and he well because he didn't do much of that made precious few friends (laughs) and a mob of enemies 
and he taught in a way that almost nobody either understood or wanted to risk understanding, least of all the ones who were closest to him. And in the end, they got him. And forget all the grim parts of his death because the obscenity and the horror have long since been ritualized out of that. They just got him, and that's all we need to remember. And he, he wasn't spared a thing, we know. It was awful beyond telling. And then it happened. However we try to tell it, however we try to, at all costs to avoid having to explain it, right? Because it was so long ago and seemed so wild and so crazy. And because so many other things are more plausible. Manageable things have happened since. Whatever words we can find for telling the story or of watering it down, whatever it was, it was death no more. He wasn't dead. He was not a ghost, but he wasn't dead. And he was at one point um, alive again. And, and this is how we often tell it. We're so often peddlers of a story we're not sure we believe or fully know, or worse yet, we don't speak in, speak of Christ at all. And now you and I are here in this place because of what little life that happening dealt us. Because of this story of Jesus, each of our own stories is in countless ways different from what it would have been otherwise. And that is why speaking about him, we have to speak about ourselves too and about ourselves with and without Jesus, too, because that, of course, is the other story that we have in us and remember most and are most equipped to tell. Our own story. We are people of sincerity, Paul says, and God help us if we're not. And we are commissioned by God to speak in Christ and to speak of Christ and to speak truth. And there is not a story whose truth we are closer to than our own story, than the story of what it's like to live inside our bodies. The trouble is that like Christ's story, this too is apt to... Um, be the last thing we actually tell <laughs> or attach at all to Jesus' story, partly because we are uncomfortable with our stories and afraid of sincerity, and partly because we have half forgotten our story. But tell it we must, and before we tell it to anyone else, we must tell it to ourselves. We have the story of our baptism, of our birth. We have the story of our wilderness experience, of our temptations, the temptations to settle for the lesser good, to settle for niceness and usefulness and busyness and the, and the outward miracles, not just the inward grace, instead of um, the busyness instead of holiness, right? We have our story of our miracles too, blind though we are to them, because to acknowledge a miracle in our own life is to have to act on it somehow, to become some kind of miracles out of that, and that's why they scare us to death. 
the, the miracle of our own births, the miracle of every right turn that we ever took and every healing word that was ever spoken to us or that we spoke to someone else, the miracle of loving sometimes even the most unlovely people when we have so little loving in us left. And the half-forgotten miracles also about how we turned up in a place like this, such as like, like you people here now, us here together, this weird hodgepodge of people all in this place who might never have made it here at all when you consider all the hazards along the way. And the crucifixion is a part of our story too because we too are people of sorrow and we've been acquainted with grief. Yet we were raised up nonetheless. We're raised up and we have that to tell of too. That part of the story, in spite of every reason to give, the, give all of this up, we're here still just able to hope in spite of all the griefs and the failures we've known, we're here just able to rejoice in spite of all the darkness that we've been flirting with for all these years, right? Two stories, our own story and Jesus' story, and in the end, perhaps, they should be. As, as Paul seems to say the same, where he is strong, we are weak. Where he is faithful, we are, well, what we are. <laughs> where, where he opens himself to the worst of the world, we arm ourselves against the world. And our stories then become the best parody of Jesus' story. And if, as Paul says, we are fragrances of Christ, it is this story. These both stories intertwine together to create the story of you and Jesus that saves you. But until you know how those two stories are intertwined, we don't all know, which means we're all on a journey of salvation, right? None of us all know how these two stories are, are intertwined. But every moment, every glimpse of how your story is connected to Jesus and every moment that you intend and, and commit to, to speaking and living that story in Christ is a glimpse of how God is saving you. Let's pray. God, we sit with this story and we apologize for every way we have tried to tell stories that are not the story. Um, how we've tried to make our faith when we're asked to tell, to tell of your faith, tell, of, tell your story of, of salvation or tell your story of, of faith and we often tell stories of what we once were told and what we know now and we tell stories of how we 
we, what denomination we were a part of and what denomination we're a part of now and, um, and the journey of what we, our values. And, um, but we rarely talk about, God, the real journey of knowing how our story is a part of yours and how you are saving us through us having ahas of how our, our suffering is, God, you see it and you're here with us, how our greatest joys are not out of our own strength, but out of your, your hand in our lives. So move us, God, into people who, who can blend our story with yours. so that we might be saved. Saved from thinking that our story is all ours. Or that we come from us instead of from you. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.